No ketchup. No ketchup. What's up, everybody? Welcome into No Catch of Chicago. I am Nick Harvey. Sean is out today. Uh, he's recovering from that Bears debacle that we all uh, we all had the pleasure of witnessing yesterday. But as usual, our boy Eli K. Brown in here with us today. So him and I are going to break it down, talk a little bit about that game, talk a little bit about what the hell we're going to do going forward, and just kind of, um, man, what the plan is for our Chicago Bears. So obviously the Bears yesterday fall to the Detroit Lions 34 to 30 at home, a game that they had in control for most of the game, obviously blow it there in the final two minutes. And uh, here we are Monday and the fans are calling for heads. So Eli, first of all, what's going on, man? How was your weekend? And uh, man, how are you feeling today, man? How are you feeling after that Bears game? How was your Sunday? It was a nice weekend until Sunday around two fifty-five. I would say I, I don't have the exact time, but uh, I will give them this. At least they found a new way to lose. Like we talked about last week, how predictable that Packers game was. The uh, the Vikings game before that, it, it was a script we had seen before. At least they mixed it up this time. They took the lead. The offense did something. The running game looked good. The offensive line looked solid. And then it was uh, a typical Bears collapse. There was a defensive breakdown. Uh, letting uh, the Lions go on a 96-yard drive. There was an offensive breakdown where Trubisky just fumbles. There was mental breakdowns where A-Rob just runs out of bounds two yards before the sticks on third down, which eliminated the chance of them going to the end zone at the end. So just all around collapse, but at least it was something new. What did you think about that? Yeah, I'm uh, 100% on the same page, man. As far as from how the game started, uh, man, I think that is everything we've been asking for for the Bears all year. Running game looked good. Play calling looked creative. Mitch Trubisky looked comfortable. We're scoring touchdowns, three rushing touchdowns in the first half. You know, we're feeling good. You go up with a 10-point lead on a team like the Detroit Lions, who literally just fired their head coach. Organization is in shambles. You're at home. Um, that should be a no-brainer. Like, even as I'm going through my notes for the game, right halftime, I wrote, you should never blow 10-point lead the Lions ever. So Bears go into halftime, 23-13. Um and then the, the wheels come off, man. I mean, we've again third quarter problems that we've been talking about all year. Once again, the Bears go another third quarter without scoring a touchdown. Get that touchdown early in the fourth quarter. And then from there, um, you make the cardinal sin, which is letting a team hammer around, right? You can talk about Stafford. We can talk about all of his flaws. We can talk about his shortcomings. But at the end of the day, Matt Stafford is an accomplished NFL quarterback who is absolutely dangerous enough to beat you if you let him hang in there. And again, this is a team that's really playing for nothing at this point. They're just trying to audition for next year. They got nothing to lose. They're going out there. They're playing free. And the Bears gave that one away. Um, kind of to your point, there's not any one moment that you can point at in this game of where it all went wrong, whether it's the defense in the second half, whether it's the offense failing to score in the second half, whether it's failing to convert after that huge Bilal Nichols interception, um, whether it's the Trubisky fumble, the Matt Nagy play call on fourth down at the end of the game, Allen Robinson, um, no matter how you chop it up, uh, I think the blame kind of goes all around on this one. Uh, where, where are you at? I mean, if you're if you're looking back on this game, I mean, where are you where are you pointing the finger? Or is it kind of just all over the place? 
I think this one falls squarely on the players. I mean, we, we've talked about Nagy plenty, and, and he, deserves, he deserves his fair share. But, yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, it comes down to, like, Nagy had his big thing last week about pride and culture, and I think most of that is bullshit. But you are talking about a team that came off a bye and looked completely flat last week. And then this week, everyone's talking about how this team is buried alive and they have a chance to show that they are not. And they come out and do that in the fourth quarter. Like the highest paid players on the team just disappeared at the end. But I'm talking about the defensive guys, Mac and Quinn. They didn't cause any pressure down the stretch. And then Allen Robinson. Robert Quinn had zero tackles yesterday. Uh, he, he was not on the stat sheet at all yesterday. It just boggles the mind how I know you guys talk about him and Otto Porter just <laughs> the city of Chicago. Duffel bag boys, yeah, ski like, mask boys. <laughs> where are they? And then Allen Robinson, we de- we defended him last week about the 50-50 balls. Uh, we talked about how he doesn't get enough of those, but he makes enough other plays. And then he just he can't run out of bounds. Like if he gets that first down, the Bears have four chances to go to the end zone. Instead, they get zero because they have to go for it on fourth and one and get stuffed predictably. But just your best players have to come through at that point, and none of the best players on the Bears did that. And so the blame, I feel like, falls on them. So you're putting this one more towards the players than the coaches or anything like that. You think that the game was in hand and all they had to do is kind of just do their job? I, I mean, yeah. I mean, the coaches obviously are not absconded. They There's some blame that can go there. But at the end of the day, if the Bears were good, if the Bears were going to take credit, if the players were going to take credit for a 10-point lead and win, then they should be the ones responsible for the loss in the end. Absolutely. Yeah, I I fully agree on that. Um, Obviously, from a coaching perspective, I think Pagano and his refusal to bring any type of blitz pressure uh, in the fourth quarter was glaring. Again, with Matt Stafford, you can't just sit there and let him pick you apart. Matt Stafford was throwing dimes. He threw a dime to Cephas right before the half. He was throwing dimes in the fourth quarter. He threw a dime to Marvin Jones Jr. In the fourth quarter, he's picking us apart with Hawkinson, with M. Yeah, so, I mean, they're doing their thing there with Hawkinson. They're picking us apart, and, uh, yeah, and no pressure at all. But to your point, man, the Bears, as far as the players are concerned, um, yeah, the effort wasn't there at the end of the game. You're letting them drive down the field. The Trubisky fumble, the Charles Leno Jr. holding call, the Charles Leno Jr. getting beat uh, by Everson Griffin for the sack, it was all there. Yeah, I mean, it, it they compound upon themselves, like, I thought that Bilal Nichols play was going to be the game ender. Like that was the script in 2018 was the the defense did enough and then they make a play at the end and it would be game over. But instead the bears just go three and out, three and out fumble and then turnover on downs to end the game. Like the offense has to do something in that fourth quarter to keep Stafford on the sideline. Instead, they're just giving the ball right back to Detroit and letting, like you said, pick him apart with these guys that are not, I mean, they're, they're solid players. Marvin, Marvin Jones and DJ yeah, Hawkinson nice. and Jesse James, they're fine, but like they're not world beaters. And meanwhile, the Bears, who have this expensive defense that is much vaunted, and, and we've given them credit in the past, they just didn't show up. Right. And then when they make that play, and, and I'll give the defense credit for this, right? When they needed to make a play, that Bilal Nichols pick was 100% yeah. a game winning play for 95% of teams in the league. Not even good teams, right? Usually you say for good teams, they convert on that. This isn't even good teams. <laughs> Average teams, slightly mediocre teams, that's ball game. If you come down and score, you are up 17 with four minutes left in the game. There's no way in hell the Lions are coming back. Instead, you get nothing done on offense. You get the ball back on their 48 after that pick. So it's a short field. You do nothing on offense. You give the ball right back to this quarterback who's been hot 
And of course they marched down the field, right? So on one like that, it's it's really mind-boggling to me. That one I put on the coaches because, again, too often there's situations where all you're asking Matt Nagy and that offense to do is to produce some points, and they just can't do it. Even a field goal makes that a 13-point game, and you feel a lot more comfortable, right? Um, but you can't have the outcome that you had. You can't give them the ball back, giving them the opportunity to go back and score. Now it's a three-point game. Now you're putting yourself in a situation where Mitch Trubisky is backed up deep in his own end zone. Again, another opportunity for your offense to come through. Just get a first down. Don't fumble. Protect the ball. Run out the clock. They can't do it. You give it right back to them. As soon as he fumbled, we knew it was going to happen. There was no chance that they weren't going to score. They were rolling. Bears go down 34-30. Getting back to the other side, Bears get the ball back. It's looking good, right? David Montgomery, great game by him. I think um, for those of us that have been critical of David Montgomery, this was an excellent game for him as far as catching the ball, running the ball. The Bears overall did a great job running the ball, mixing it up between the two of them. Um, He's making plays at the end of the game there. there. We get in a position to score, and the Allen Robinson plays happen. I hate nothing more than receivers catch the ball turn towards the sideline and loop around yeah, and loop around. It's like, first off, you know, you're right up against the sideline. So where are you going to go? Second, in a situation like that one where the defender falls and you literally have daylight, you're giving yourself no option. So he runs out of bounds, uh, fourth and one. And obviously at that point, Nagy gets in his, his fourth down play call, which I think the entire universe knew was going to be a run up. The I middle. was shocked. It wasn't a toss to Cordero, but <laughs> Or maybe maybe a direct snap out of the wildcat, right? No, like so. I, I screen grabbed it and, and froze it. I wanted to see closely. When Allen Robinson catches, when his two hands touch the ball, the Lions defender is on the ground behind the first down marker. It's almost impossible for him to not move the chains in that situation. Like he just had to fall forwards and he would have gotten it. Instead, like you said, he loops backwards around towards the Bears' end of the field, but also towards the sidelines. And then the way that the angle is, he just – ends up out of bounds a yard short like the lack of field awareness it was flashbacks of marion barber in denver a couple years ago when he just didn't know the clock. but like you field awareness is something that you can't really be taught you have to just know it and that's something that alan robinson a veteran player needs to know and and be better at so you don't think that's a situation you don't think that's a situation where the coach comes up to him before the before that play and is like, hey, make sure you get the first time. Or he doesn't need to know that, right? I mean, Alan Robinson's been playing football a, for too long. Yeah, it's two-minute drill. You have to get out of bounds, but you also have to get a first down. Like, one is not more important than the other. If Like we saw, he got out of bounds, the clock stopped, but now it's fourth down. They only have one more play. If he, get, if he moves the chains, at least they can spike it on first down, and at least you have three more chances. Like, it's just inexcusable to not know your situational football at that point of the game. Especially with this team where it seems like everything does have to go perfect for the Bears to win, right? Like you can't have plays like that. You can't not convert on that touchdown. I'm sorry, on that interception. You obviously can never have a fumble inside of your own 10 in the fourth quarter. But it just seems like the Bears are not the type of team that can recover from, you know, those that those type of plays and not not converting when they need to. Um, But again, I, I keep coming back. The one play on this game is that Bilal Nichols interception and the fact that they were not able to convert for that because those are the type of plays that you asked for um, asked for in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, I know you've been critical of the play calling. What did you think of the fact that, that Nagy and Laser didn't really have Mitch move in the second half? Like, he was squarely in the pocket. It seemed like for a lot of those plays, the, the strip sack by Griffin, the most obvious, he was just standing there. It seemed like we've been talking about that, that Mitch's best skill set is his feet. 
What do you think? What do you think of the play calling down the stretch? And you saw that in the first half. I think in the first half they did a great job of moving him around the pocket, getting him on some of those quick out routes, letting the receiver kind of do their thing. If you get Mitch in space, he can make plays. Um, yeah, I, I think it goes without saying. It was awful for some reason. They looked at the first half, saw what worked, <laughs> right? Things that haven't worked for them all year, or a type of play calling flow or rhythm that they haven't been able to get into all year, and then you go away from it in the second half. Mitch should never be a statue back there. Your defense, or I'm sorry, your offensive line, though they played okay yesterday uh, for most of the game, they're not good enough to put him back there like that, right. right? Plus, if you're not moving him around, you're not using his biggest asset. He is not a sit back there and pick you apart quarterback. If you're still trying to make him that, like, forget <laughs> about it, right? So you got to call the plays to his strengths. And we've been talking about that with Nagy all year. He does not call to the strengths of his football team. Nagy, Laser, whoever it is that was calling the plays in the second half. And I start to suspect that once it gets into the third or fourth quarter, Nagy's starting to take over a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah kind of like our Adam Gay situation <laughs> last week. But, um, yeah, you, you're just not doing the kid any favors in the second half. I think the formula to be effective with Mitch Trubisky is there, right? You know what he does well. You know what his strengths are. You know where he thrives. And I think when we look back on this, outside of all Mitch's faults and they're there, there is a failure with the coaching staff to ever really put him in a situation really from the second half of last year and all through this season in a position for him to win and do what he does well. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where that's coming from. I don't know why those conversations aren't being had. But, yeah, to your point yesterday, they went away from it. You, you left him back there as a statue. You let your defense – I'm sorry, you let the defense start to tee off on him. And – it's it's not playing to your strength. You know you have a weak offensive line. He's never going to succeed like that. Like you said, like he's not that kind of quarterback, and and the offense should be built around what he does well. And instead, in the in the second half, they went away from that completely. Yeah, it, it just made no sense. I I kept expecting that, especially on that final drive. Like, okay, here comes a rollout. Here comes like a, a, a like a, a moving pocket, and none of that took place. He was just standing back there, three step drops. And he's not good enough to, to read the defense and fire in passes like that. And that's why you went three and out so many times. And it's not what he does either. I mean, look, there's a lot of quarterbacks who that's not their strength, but you right. you call the plays for him. That makes sense, right? You look at a Kyle, he's, and he's not Kyler Murray. He's not Deshaun Watson, right? He's not that level of athlete, but he is the type of guy that you can move around. And that buys time, right? You right. run around, you buy time, that gets your receivers open. Darnell Mooney can get open. Allen Robinson can get open if they have the time, right? If they all, That was one of the problems with Foles is there was no time for those guys to get open because the defense was in his ass and he couldn't go anywhere. But Mitch Trubisky, he's a joystick, man. Move him around a little bit, swing him outside the pocket. He's got arm talent. He can hit a throw on a rope if he's running. Um, allow him to do it. So, yeah, I, I think that they have continued to fail him. Um, the strip sack is on him, obviously, but they've continued to fail him and they've continued to fail this football team um, by just their lack of any real situational awareness with this squad. Um, last, last couple things on this game before we talk about a little bit going forward. Um, Cole Komet. Yeah. Welcome to the party. <laughs> Welcome to the party. Right. Um, <laughs> our boy Eli Lidoff has been, uh, has been placing a bet on Cole Komet to score a touchdown for like the last eight <laughs> weeks and hasn't come through for him. And this was the first week that he finally didn't do it. So it's good to see him get involved. Um, hopefully that's something that we can take going forward with us. Roquan Smith, I felt like he had a solid game. Jalen Johnson, look, we knew it was going to happen. He's been yeah. getting no, – no cornerback in the NFL has been getting targeted more. Um, 
So obviously, you know, it was a rough day at the office for him. Um, running game looked good, like we said. Trubisky looked okay, like we said. But you just can't have that uh, that situation. Any final thoughts on this game before we kind of kind of move I mean, forward? I still think we're waiting for that defense to make the big play that we've been expecting, like the pick six, the the strip fumble, something like that. I mean, Bilal Nichols, all the credit to him. That was a huge play. But like the big time playmakers, especially in the secondary, you mentioned Johnson. Uh, but Fuller, Eddie Jackson, Gibson, those guys need to step up and, and make plays. The tight end was carving them up over the middle. Uh, I mean, I don't know who exactly his responsibility is. That Which has be. always been a problem. Right, it's always been a problem. But the the defense has to – I mean, if the, the Bears are going to win based on their defense, the defense has to show up and, and make bigger plays down the stretch. You can't let – I mean, Stafford's a guy that they know as well as anybody what his strengths are, and they just let him pick them apart, especially down the stretch. And and I was hoping to see that the defense would step up. And, and like we talked about, Quinn and Mac just were no-shows. But also the secondary, I thought, was hope. I was hoping that they would make a big play, and, and that never materialized. How much do you think of the defense's problems or scheme? Do you think it's a Pagano issue as far as and, – and I've been saying it forever. you got to let the boys yeah. play. Um, do you think it's it's Pagano's – just his refusal to blitz? Um, I think that's that part they, of I think that a, a defense, especially when they know that the offense isn't going to do anything, they they put the pressure on themselves, and, and that can bend, but but eventually it's going to break. And and we've seen it all year with the Bears. They clamp down in the red zone, but these last few weeks, they just haven't been able to do that. And I wonder if it's the time on the field, and, and just in the back of their head, they know if they don't stop them here, the game is over. Even with the offense doing okay yesterday, like that has to be in the back of their mind somewhere. I do think it, the play calling is an issue, but the, the team circumstances also play a role in, in how this defense is. They're trying to be aggressive, and that, that leads to the big plays on the other end. Do you think it's an overall – do you feel that between the first half of the season when this team was obviously – Yeah, I mean, the, there was – the in the first half of the season, they were playing better, and – and lately, they, they just have fallen apart, and I, I wonder if it's the wear and tear of being on the field for so long. Uh, but at the same time, the Bears the Bears are banking on this defense to do stuff. I mean, like we've talked about, they're the highest-paid part of the team. Mack, Quinn, Hicks, Eddie Jackson just got his extension. Fuller is big, paid big. They have to do more than just one interception by the defensive end um, in the fourth quarter. They, they have to bring the heat on Stafford. They have to turn the ball over. They have to do something. Uh, to give this team a chance. And I know, I know they're on the field a lot, but if they're going to be the anchor of this team, the Bears defense has to, to do that. Um, and they didn't. They, they fell apart at the end. They, they allowed Matt Stafford to move the ball down the field. He threw for, let me look it up, 402 yards, two touchdowns, or three touchdowns, excuse me. Um, that's, just, that's just too much for, for a team that's basically one-dimensional. They didn't have a running game yesterday. You knew that Stafford was going to do all that and the Bears defense just allowed it to happen. So I was kind of disappointed with how they played. And, and yeah, you can credit the play calling, but the defensive players have to step up, and, and I didn't think they did that yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. No, no pressure on him towards down the stretch. Um, I think for me, it's been hard all year for me to blame the defense. Yeah. Only because I, I feel like I'm probably overly sympathetic to them, just that, like, man, I think that these guys started out the season fired up. I think they came out ready to play. And I think it's just so deflating to know that pretty much you're going to be right back out there in 90 seconds because your offense can't get anything done. So I I, I, I probably need to give them a little bit more criticism um, because they have, especially the last two weeks, have really kind of fallen apart. 
um, and giving up those big plays that we talked about earlier in the year. Hey, the one thing the Bears defense doesn't do is give up big plays. You know, yesterday you have the 49-yard strike. I will give Stafford that strike to Cephas. Um, But that's the type of play that the Bears defense typically just doesn't give up. So when you start seeing stuff like that, that's when I think it gets troubling. It's like, man, are are they giving up? Are they not as into it as they used to be? Um, and, and I was hopeful because they haven't played the defense hasn't been on the field with a lead in a in a couple of weeks probably right. since that Carolina game. So a double Bears, digit lead when the Bears took the lead early, I was like, all right, here we go. Like like you've been saying, like let the boys go, like teeing off, and that never took place, and and then the lead disappeared. So I was kind of surprised that 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 didn't happen. Yep. Um, all right. Well, Bears fall thirty four to thirty in embarrassing fashion. Um, obviously after the game, Twitter was lit up. People have been calling for Matt Nagy's head for a couple weeks now, but uh, the noise got really loud yesterday. I saw fire Matt Nagy, fire Ryan Pace, fire Ted Phillips, fire the ticket guy, fire the the concession stand people, fire anybody involved with the organization. So um, knowing the Bears, right, and I think you have a unique perspective on this having covered the team for so long, Um, knowing the Bears – I don't see any situation where Matt Nagy walks into Hallis Hall today and gets fired. Um, how do you see this kind of unfolding for the rest of the year? And as soon as the season's over, do you see them kind of making that in season change or is that not something that the bears would ever, ever do? Yeah, that doesn't seem like the bear style that they typically wait until that black Monday, the final, the first Monday after the end of the season to, to make those moves. Um, and I know a lot of people were like, this needs to happen immediately. You look at what happened to the Lions, the Texans coming in this week. They've already cleaned house. Like, what's the point in waiting? But it just doesn't seem like the Bears style. They're going to let Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace finish out this year. But what I was thinking about what, what we've talked about in the past is, is how desirable is this job? Like, not to play devil's advocate, but you can't keep firing coaches every three years. Does it make sense in this year? where the Bears are going to be at the bottom of the totem pole in terms of desirability. Does it make sense to keep Nagy? I don't think his performance, like he has to go. His performance has warranted him being fired. But you look at the other available jobs and there's going to be a lot of, of good ones. I mean, the Chargers have a young quarterback. The The Jets and the Jaguars are going to have top picks. Like the Texans have Deshaun Watson. Like there, there's good jobs out there. The Bears are not going to be first in line for these young coaches that they're going to look for. Does it make sense to keep Nagy with that in mind? And yeah, that and that's the point that I've been kind of making. And you remember when Sean and I yeah. kind of got into it a few weeks ago, it's you brought up a great point. Anthony Lynn is going to get fired in LA, right? Um, Bill O'Brien already got fired in Houston, right? You got situations like uh, Atlanta. Um, you got situations like Detroit, right? Um, where do the Bears actually rank in this? I, if, if I'm Eric Bieniemy, I'm one of these top coordinators. I'm going to Houston first, right? I'm going to LA. I'm going where they have an established quarterback, and at least I have that hope. I don't think people, or maybe people do realize, like when you have that quarterback in place as a head coach, it makes your job so much easier. You just need to figure out the other 21 positions, right? You need to figure out what you're trying to do. When you don't have that quarterback, again, we're Bears fans. You see what it looks like. It affects every single part of your football team every single part of your organization. So if you're looking at the Chicago Bears, yeah, it's a prestigious organization. It's a great market for you to play in. It's one of only 32 NFL jobs. So obviously somebody's going to take it and you will get somebody. But when you start ranking it up against some of those other jobs that are out there in the NFL, I don't necessarily see the Bears as being that attractive because I think 
for what we talk about every week, it's kind of like, man, where do we go, right? What direction does this team take? Do you go into a full-scale rebound, like a uh, rebuild like the Dolphins did a couple years ago? Do you try to rebuild on the fly? Do you try to keep some of these guys around? You have decisions to make on a veteran. You have decisions to make in the draft, right? This is a team that trade away a ton of draft capital over the last seven to eight years, and now you're kind of you know, bearing that, right? You you're, you're, you don't have that depth that you will have hoped to establish, right? Your offensive line is in shambles and you're going to have to throw money at it to fix it. So um, for a head coach coming in, yeah, w- w- what does this situation kind of look like? Yeah, I mean, it's not desirable to walk into. And from an organizational perspective, the Bears want a coach that's going to be here for the long haul. They've already, since, 20, since they fired Lovey in 2012, they've already gone through three coaches. So if we're talking about firing Nagy, then in 2021, that's four coaches in nine years. Like that's not a, a path to success. They they want a coach that was like in the Lovey Smith mold that was here for eight years and can build a, an organization and a culture that year after year they can be contenders. If you're shuffling out coaches every three years, you have no chance of winning. So that's why I thought Nagy would get the benefit of the doubt. But a six game losing streak, the way it's happened, I, I just don't think they can justify bringing him back. But who are they going to find that can be that guy for eight years? And maybe the first few years are rough, but long term, they need someone that has some stability because if you're just shuffling out coaches, it's never going to work out. Yeah. And uh, it's funny you say that. So this weekend, there were rumors and I don't know. I saw this on I think it was Bleacher Nation Bears, uh, which I, you can I don't know if that's legitimate source or not. Yeah. Um, that Pat Fitzgerald is a rumor for the I've Bears. Heard. I li- I'm a Northwestern football fan. I like Pat Fitzgerald, right? I think he's per. If you grew up in Evanston, I grew up in Evanston. We know what Northwestern needs for their football coach. And Pat Fitzgerald is the definition of the head coach of Northwestern football. With that being said, I want zero part of him being the head coach of the Chicago Bears. Um, So I would ask you, you know, kind of knowing that the last two first time head coaches that the Bears hired, being Nagy and Tressman, are both going to be disasters, right? Tressman's already a disaster, and Nagy, we're in the midst of a disaster. Do you see the Bears going that first-time head coach route, or do you think they're going to look for a more established guy? Remember, after Tressman, they went as established as you could possibly go by bringing in John Fox, who really had no interest in coaching anymore, (laughs) but you're going to give me a three-year contract, and I can live in Lake Forest. I'm going to do it. Um, So are they going to go – do you see them kind of making that, that, you know, retread higher, or do you think they're going to try to be – think out the box? Well, yeah. out, outside of John Fox, the Bears have never hired a head coach that had previous head coaching experience. They've always gone with the first-time guy. Wanstat, Jerron, Ditka had never coached before that. Like, it just goes on and on. I mean, it helps that Hallis was the coach for 50 years, so they never really had to think about that. But they've always gone with the first-time guy. I think they got to be open to everything. They have to kick the tires on on coaches that have been around before. They have to, to look in at young coordinators, go the college route. The Fitzgerald thing is interesting, like you said. Like, I I've observed, I have observed Pat Fitzgerald, and talking to people that follow Northwestern, they say he's a great coach Sunday through Friday, but Saturday is his weakest day of the year. So, are you going to really trust him to make? If you talk about clock management and, and game decisions, like, is that really the guy you want to be in charge? Um, but I've also heard the rumors that the only job he'd leave Northwestern for is the coach of the Bears. So. If they throw enough money at him, maybe maybe that's the way they go. But I think you have to explore every option. You can't close any avenue because this team needs a coach that's going to be around for a while. And and where that guy is, I don't know. You want to know what happens when you hire a coach that can't manage a clock? 
But well, Austin was tackled. Austin was tackled in bounds, and you let 15 seconds tick off the clock before you took the timeout. Why, why not take the timeout earlier there to save time? I'm I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. All right. 100% like it's funny, but that's what happens when you have a head coach in the yeah. NFL that can't manage a clock. And definitely I've watched the Northwestern games this year and Pat Fitzgerald's fourth down decisions are baffling um, mm-hmm. at times. So, yeah, I would like to see them go the uh, the new coordinator route. I always think that's the way to go. The NFL is an ever evolving league and you see a lot of these teams have success kind of hiring these guys for the first time. So I'd love to see them do that. Um, you know, obviously a guy like Bianami is at the top of the list, but we just talked about it. He's not coming to Chicago. Um, yeah, I think they need to bring in somebody who can lead this search for him. It can't be Ted Phillips. You need no. to hire a football team president. You need to hire a football general manager, and you need to hire a football coach who is going to come in independent of the business side, right? Independent of the family business of the Chicago Bears and come in and make smart football hires. If you want to keep Ted Phillips on the financial side and you just tell him, hey man, you're completely uninvolved, that's great. A lot of people saying, hey, that's not going to be the case because he's just been around too long and carries too much power. But whatever it is, you can't have this situation going forward. Uh, Before we get out of here, Eli, anything you want to close it on for the Bears going forward? I mean, I think it's pretty hilarious that the final three weeks of the season are they faced Deshaun Watson, who's the, the guy that Ryan Pace didn't really have an interest in. He thought there was a better quarterback coming out of the ACC in 2017. Uh, and then the, next week, then the next week, they faced Mike Glennon, who was my, uh, Ryan Pace's high-priced free agent savior, who lasted all of four games before he was benched. And then there's the Stone Cold killer at the end, Aaron Rodgers, who ends careers of Bears coaches every time he faces them. So. It's a it's a fun final three weeks for this regime. I think uh, they'll get a, it's like a, the ghost of Christmas past and, and all those guys like just coming at them. Quick prediction: Bears Texans. What do you got? Uh, I, I I don't think the Texans are very good. like we talk about coaches. There's not very many good coaches in this league, and and the, the Texans don't have one either. So I, I think it's going to be another ugly game. I'll say 17-15 Bears. I don't know. I just blacked out. I don't know what I just said. All right. You heard it here first. 1715 Bears for Eli Cabron. I am Nick Harvey. Uh, Tune in tomorrow. We will be right back at it with the national show. Uh, But other than that, everybody have a great week. We appreciate you tuning in. Take it easy.